0: Hello and welcome back to Touching Base PR Edition. My name is Jamie Gerke and I'll be your host today. This is the podcast where I help aspiring communications professionals create the careers they dream of. Through fun interviews with top-notch PR and marketing pros, you're going to gain a wide understanding of the industry and know how to make your mark. Let's do it. This week on Touching Base PR Edition, we have an interview with Sarah Parsons, who is the founder and CEO of Sarah Parsons Media. And let me tell you, this conversation with Sarah literally turned into like a therapy session. We talk about starting with how theater prepares you for PR, but then we start talking about how everything happens for a reason, how life just works out how it's supposed to, and then we talk about imposter syndrome and kind of reframing that narrative. So I think we literally got off the recording and I was like, girl, that felt like therapy. Because it did. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear this one because I think it's going to like really resonate with a lot of you. So I don't know. It was super exciting. Before we get into it, talking about personal professional highlights for the week, I guess we can continue with talking about therapy. So if you listened to my update last week, I was talking about how I went on this date with this boy and it just felt so good, like felt so natural. And I was really excited for what was going to come out of it. And then literally the day I posted that episode, he texted me and was like, I am actually not ready to be in a relationship, which made total sense because he had told me that he had gotten out of a three and a half year relationship like in June, which is only like seven months ago. So I totally understood where he was coming from and I was like, I totally get it. Like, you, you do you, man. But I think that's something that originally would have made me like really upset at another point in my life. I would have thought like I wasn't good enough or I would have felt like it was my fault. But just like, in the past year, I've really learned how to be more independent, more, you know, aware of other things, like knowing that it's not always me, I guess. Um, And one of my friends said to me, sometimes it takes going on a really good date to realize you're not ready, like envisioning what the future could be like to realize that you are not ready to do that. And that really made sense to me. And I don't know if it'll make sense to any of you. But um, I just wanted to like share that little tidbit of advice because I am normally someone that like, literally would cry over that for days but i literally got in my car got a diet coke drove around listening to sad music and nothing no tears but if we do want to talk about tears kelsey ballerini released her new divorce ep and it is absolutely phenomenal the whole album tugs at your heartstrings but especially her song leave me again totally mm, chef's kiss she says i hope i remember all the pieces of who i was that i lost on the way I hope I learned to love myself like I loved you then, and I hope I never leave me again. That totally, like, rips at my heartstrings, but absolutely love, love, love. Definitely recommend listening to that album. Professionally, I have a really, 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 really exciting update, and it is that I accepted a job offer this week. So if you guys know, I'm graduating from St. John's in May with my Master's in Sport Management, and that's when I'll be wrapping up my grad assistantship as well. I have not launched my job yet on social media, so I'm going to keep it hidden for a little bit, but I'll probably announce it next week or the week after. So um stay tuned. Before we get into the episode, I just want to remind you guys that we have our summer internship panel coming up on March 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Zoom. It's going to feature Erica C. Mosco from JMGPR, Zina Rezvanipur from 3DPR and Marketing. Bianca Fabian and Dale Place from Command Collective, and Kira Turner from KGT Communications. And so I'm so excited. They're going to answer audience questions. You guys can network in the comment section. It's going to be so much fun, entirely over Zoom. We'll be sending out goodie bags to the first few people who register. It's really exciting. There's about 20 people signed up right now. I sent the email with the link out to a bunch of different PRSSA chapters. They sent it to my undergrad Binghamton and I see so many Binghamton students signed up, which makes me so, so, so excited because I know I struggled at Binghamton with finding internship opportunities or anything like that because we didn't have a PR major, so I often felt like I didn't really know what I was doing. So I'm so excited that I'm gonna be able to create that space for Binghamton students, but also just like everyone. I'm just so excited for the panel. Um so I, I'll see you guys there. Make sure you sign up. The link is in the bio. Also, we have our newsletter that you can sign up for. It comes out biweekly. So we'll come out with another episode next week. Um, not episode, another, you know, email next week. Um, we do some little communications marketing, like quick hits, what's been going on, share recent blog posts, recent episodes. So make sure if you want to stay up to date on all things touching base PR that you hit that subscribe button for the newsletter. All of that being said, let's hop right into this interview with Sarah Parsons.
1: My name is Sarah Parsons, and I am the founder and CEO of Sarah Parsons Media.
0: Amazing. So we're going to get all into that in just a few moments. But before we do that, we'll do a little bit of a hot seat just to break the ice, get to know you on a little bit more of a personal level. So my let's first do it. question for you is if you had one free hour every day, how would you wanna spend it?
1: That's a good question. Uh, I would, this is maybe kind of a broad answer, but I think I would spend it being present. And I hate to uh, nail that down to like taking a walk or meditating because I would like to do whatever feels best in that moment. Um, But yeah, just an hour of just being super present, no cell phone, no distractions. I have a dog. So he keeps me really present. Um, (laughs) that would be it, you know, no, uh, no distractions for an hour.
0: I absolutely love that. I try to spend some time in the morning. Um, usually I try to work out in the morning. And so I try to be really present, like during that hour, like not like super on my phone. And it's great because it's six in the morning. So no one's contacting me. (laughs)
1: yeah you're like oh I'm so free
0: <laughs> worst if, I, like, me. if I go to the gym any later than that if it's like 11 o'clock my phone just buzz, yeah. buzz 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 I'm like leave
1: me alone Same. <laughs> I know I have I like now on iPhone you can set your own like do not disturb I literally have like a fitness do not disturb because I'll be like working out and it'll be like I'll be buzzing and I'll be like oh I have to take it you know and I'm like no you need to just get through this 35 to an app, you know an hour and then you can go right back to it
0: I'm like, nobody's going to care no. if I answer them in 30 minutes, but like.
1: Right. And if they do, then it's probably not somebody you want to be that committed. Like if it's not heart surgery, then I think we're okay. hundred <laughs> uh, <100%. laughs> percent. So yeah.
0: my second question for you is what is your go-to comfort food at the moment?
1: Oh, so this is a tricky one because I recently had to become gluten-free. So Ooh. a lot of my favorite comfort foods. now like I found new versions of them but they definitely were it was definitely a transition so I think my comfort food is definitely mac and cheese now it's gluten-free mac and cheese but any variation of that like cacio pepe mac and cheese butter carbs cheese in a pan anything like that I'll be satisfied I'm so happy
0: so I definitely feel you on the pasta and the cheese I like, last week, I made a big pot of tortellini in, like, chicken broth. Ooh. um, Ooh. And just, like, with a ton of veggies in it, too, and spinach, and it was so good. And that sounds amazing. I finished my pot today, and I'm already, like, I need to make more of it. You'll have to make a new one.
1: Yeah, because it's, like, pasta keeps so well. That mm-hmm. is definitely something you can, like, make a lot of and put it in the fridge. And then you're like, it's still good whenever you heat it. It's not like, oh, I wish I was eating something else.
0: And it's so easy to make, too. It was literally like, heat up your veggies, put it in broth, boil the water, put the tortellini in, you're done.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, I think you have to share the recipe, so. <laughs>
0: I, I literally will. And you'll just have to add gluten-free tortellini. There you go. That's perfect.
1: Any kind of pasta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I made the best cacio pepe, like, of my short cooking career, (laughs) because I'm not a huge cook, but I've been trying to do more, Um, and it was just so good and so simple. It's just pasta water, parmesan cheese, cracked black pepper, and olive oil, and it's, like, the best invention ever.
0: I feel like cooking is one of those things where you just, like, need to get, like, one good recipe down, and then once you have that one recipe, you're like, I'm the most Amazing chef in the world you right? really are
1: isn't that funny you're like I was terrible at it but now that I've mastered this one thing I'm kind of the best
0: 100%. basically
1: yeah uh basically Meryl Streep and Julia Julia
0: I remember my sophomore year of college I like perfected this like chicken meatball recipe and I was like this is amazing and then yeah I thought I was like the only person that would have liked it and then yeah My senior year of college, I was living with one of my best friends, and we had our friends over, like, all the time, and we did, like, Sunday night dinner every night, and we always the spaghetti with chicken meatballs, and everyone liked it, and I was like, wait, other people like this?
1: You're like, this isn't some weird concoction that I just made one night? This is actually edible? Okay.
0: I was like, I'm a big chicken person because I don't really like other forms of meat, and... I was graduating early, so I was graduating in December, and, like, all of the meals we'd eaten up until that point were, like, chicken. And I, like, literally, mm. started, I was, like, you're going to be so sick of chicken. You're going to, like, go <laughs> on, like, a chicken cleanse as soon as I graduate. And so
1: you're, like, you're never going to eat it again. That's so funny. I'm the opposite. I, because chicken something, like, if you don't cook it right, you can get really sick. So I stayed away from chicken for a long time because I was, like, I'm going to mess it up, and then I'm going to die, and that would be really embarrassing um so I just stick to like red meat because like you can eat red meat almost raw and you can eat it raw and you won't be sick so chicken's a new frontier for me that I'm learning
0: chicken is scary and I've recently seen a lot (laughs) of people on TikTok just using like the meat thermometers to like actually find out if their chicken's cooked enough and I'm like yeah that's a game changer kind of yeah it's the game changer yeah because then you're like I'm not getting like, is it pink on the middle? That thing
1: always messed me up. I'm like, should it be completely white? It Should it be, like, pink? Like, I don't know.
0: I also- really you can tell. <laughs> no, I definitely can't. sometimes I'm like, I'll be in my kitchen, and I'll be like- Yeah. Um, do you think this is pink, or do you think this is white? I,
1: I can't tell. I don't know. It's kind of pink. It's kind of pink even when it's cooked. So I'm like, is there supposed to be no trace of it? I don't know.
0: So I think I just always let my chicken overcook. <laughs>
1: That's what I did. And then nobody liked it. So I was like, this is not for me.
0: (laughs) So now switching gears and talking all about your career. Can you start by telling me where you went to school and what you got your degree in? That's interesting. So I uh, started
1: college when I was 15. So I started very young. Okay. Um, And I started actually as a theater major. Um, I had been acting since I was around 11 years old. um, And I got accepted into a local theater program from Ohio. And so I went for two years to that program. And then I transferred out to Los Angeles in Southern California. And uh, I went to CalArts, California Institute of the Arts, the Disney school. Um, and it was, it was, it got me out of here. And I also went for acting and I'm still in Los Angeles, but uh, I only stayed for an additional year at that school. I didn't do the full four years of that bachelor's degree. And so it kind of threw me into not knowing what to do. So out here, there's a lot of different things you can do. And and the industry is very prevalent throughout all of that. And so, yeah, my schooling definitely took me up to a point, but had nothing to do with PR. It had to do a lot with storytelling, um, which I think is an innate and very um, important part. Of PR and it's the part that I'm very inspired by and very passionate about but definitely no formal PR training in any of my schooling
0: I think that's so interesting that you study theater because I do think that theater has a lot of relations to public relations and yeah I know I so I declared a theater minor in college because I wanted oh to, cool I, I wanted to get priority registration in theater classes. Um, okay. I wanted to take like intermediate acting because I would like done theater my whole life. And yeah. so I took the intermediate acting. I got I took all the theater classes that I wanted. And then I realized I didn't want to do any of the like actual like stage practica. So I dropped right. the form after I got <laughs> all the priority <laughs> registration. Listen, you don't know until you try. The best class that I took in college that like really prepared me for it, kind of this is yeah. in it was called entertainment Commun communications and relations and we oh. just, like, the professor was a little crazy I don't know if she actually knew what she was talking about great woman <laughs> she called me one day I asked her to write me a grad school recommendation and she called me afterwards and she was like I just wanted you to know that that was the hardest recommendation I ever wrote because you were such a great TA for me she was like oh she was like that's sweet I know you're going to get your degree in sport management. So I, I called my ex-husband, Tom, because I guess she was like, I was just so worried about you getting this degree because I, I, if your professors are teaching from a textbook, then you're not going to learn anything. I was like, Oh my goodness. You don't have to be like, it's okay. I'll be okay. Okay. I'll be okay. (laughs)
1: But you know, it's interesting is that the more I find in my experience, the more, um, out there, a teacher is sometimes the more they sort of break down your defenses, and the gems that they give you are the ones that kind of stick with you.
0: Yes, but essentially, the main project we had to do for this class was to she wanted to like create this whole big company where students could go behind the scenes of different events.
1: Oh I don't Wow. Know how
0: okay. Never worked out for her, but we were supposed to basically <laughs> create a subsection of her company. And then we were each okay. assigned like an event. So like my group was assigned the Billboard Music Awards and we had to basically make promotional materials for a group of students going behind the scenes at the Billboard Music Awards. So we had to Very write cool. a press release. We had to make a commercial. We had to, I remember yeah, like all the media, I remember media all, assets, all of these different media things that I never would have gotten the chance to do in college because we didn't have a public relations major. So, you know, this Mm. one class kind of taught me everything I needed.
1: Wow. So you learned all that you feel like that prepared you that one class for,
0: So I definitely, I feel like me, I had some of the skills before I took the class, I kind of knew how to write a press release from some of the tips I've done. But nice. It was like, it was kind of a culmination of putting things together for me. And then I also nice. felt like I was kind of teaching the rest of the class how to do it. Which is great. You know,
1: there's some, that, that's a part of, I think, um, internships is te- like, that I think is misunderstood because I've, um, I've taught quite a few interns when I was at a different PR firm. And uh, having them teach someone else is such a great way for them to make the system, to make... The practices their own and and learning how to get that verbiage around what you do and to give to someone else is such a, a game changer for um feeling like they can stand on their own two feet.
0: A hundred percent. It definitely gave me so much confidence and like made me feel really prepared to move forward with my career. And then I became a TA for her, which made it even better because then I was really teaching it to a lot of different people. Um That's amazing. But yeah. So that was like my, I was saying the one theater class that I took that really prepared. Yeah. Me. So I wanted to ask you, what did you learn from acting in theater? Like what have you taken from there that you use in public relations?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, I would say quite a bit. Um, and it's not always uh, the stuff that's directly correlated. So I feel definitely that my a lot of theater classes, especially things that are older texts like Greek plays and Shakespeare, really um, ask a lot of you, right, because it's not easy to read. So I think something that's really important in PR that I did learn in the beginning, like my my um, roots, if you will, came from theater, is how to study a text and how to understand what's important about it and like so a lot of PR is research and and reading people's work and it's words and so being able to connect dots that aren't always um, self-evident and to make those connections I would say that's one of the things that I really learned in theater is how to do that sort of legwork and and that research and the importance of it too and like always going back to that as sort of the ground one the first step of any press release of any cold pitch of researching a journalist or a writer or a magazine or anything like that, people you wanna work with. Um, So I would definitely say that that came from theater. I think listening is a huge thing from acting and from theater that uh, from the time I was 12, it was like acting is listening and reacting. And so I would say for me, my entire career, has come about because of listening to other people. Um, And I've been pushed in a lot of different directions and put into a lot of different roles and and founded now my own company in the past year and a half. And it's all just come from listening to what people have to say. And um, there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of uh, wealth of knowledge if you actually listen without expectation and listen to hear and understand the other person. And I think in PR, that is such a skill for when you interface with your clients, if you are a publicist, um, because listening to them between the lines and and making the connections for them that they don't always make like part of PR is definitely pulling things out of your clients. of like, Oh, I see this in you. I see this in your story and, and why it's important. But also on the other side of that is listening to journalists. And it's not just, listening in the fact of an email or a phone call or uh, a dm it's listening in what they write and what they're interested in so i think those two skills um are the things that sort of have not just built my pr career but sort of my entire life
0: a hundred percent um i love that you bring up listening i we were talking about soft skills in one of my grad school classes and I had to like take this quiz online that was supposed to tell me what my soft skills were. And it told yeah. me that I'm a below average listener. And I was like, okay, interesting. Well, listening is literally my career. So-
1: <laughs> You're like, I'm not- a bit offended, but okay. <laughs>
0: we're not gonna, we're not gonna. And then the assignment was like, do you agree with this? And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs>
1: You're like, this is actually offensive to me.
0: <laughs> you know, I think it told me that I was a bad listener because I checked off the box that was like, when I'm talking to someone and they're talking too slow and I know what they're gonna say, I'll just finish their sentence for them. And I don't yeah. think that, that is a trait of a bad listener. I think that means that I was listening really well.
1: Yeah, because you know where they're going. I think we all tend to do that. I'm definitely guilty of that myself and, and I'll catch myself doing it. I'm like, oh no, do they think do they think I'm being rude? I'm not. I'm just like telling them on the same I'm on the same page with you, essentially. It's a way to, you know, verbally cue that um but you don't seem like a bad listener to me thank you the quiz is wrong (laughs)
0: uh the quiz was so funny it was like it was like in like four categories it was like listening emotional skills verbal Mm. communication and like group settings interesting I was like, these are, well, these are interesting soft skills that we've decided to look at. It told me that I was either below average or average. And I was like, all right, well, I think that I am pretty exceptional, but you can (laughs) be like, that's interesting.
1: I think this, I think this quiz is broken. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. All those soft skills are also very correlated to one another.
0: A hundred percent. Like it, I felt like they didn't have to segment it up like it could have just Mm. been they're almost all of them
1: still. I don't know how other people uh do in groups but I definitely am always listening to the group you know what I mean like I'm always
0: like and you have to to verbally communicate as well right you can't just listen in the net (laughs) and not respond
1: interesting that they segmented it up like that
0: one of the verbal communication ones was like sometimes people tell me that I talk too much I was like I would actually argue that that means my verbal communication skills are good.
1: You're like, I think this is, you're proving your own self
0: wrong. <laughs> you tricked yourself on this one. Yeah.
1: That's interesting. I I feel like quizzes always have to be taken with a grain of salt, right? Because it's like, well, but it, it's also, you're not tailoring this to um, to me specifically. So it's like a major grain of salt with any type of one size fits all uh, 100%. quiz.
0: So how did you move from college into kind of where you are now? What was your whole trajectory like? Oh, man. um, So this is the interesting
1: part, probably, is that it was a lot of trial and error. So um, after college, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was like, oh, my God, this was my big dream. But when I was three, I was absolutely sold on moving out to Hollywood like that was my dream and so you know I was 20 at the time um, and I'm just about to turn 30 this year so it's been a 10-year journey to put that into perspective I, I was really lost and I, I think that that's an important part of anyone's journey and it, it doesn't always come at the same point Um, you know for mine it came right after college and I I tried the acting thing and I felt really disempowered by it. Um, You're definitely put into a box and you're only allowed to tell certain kinds of stories and uh, you kind of hope for scraps and it's really um, unfortunate. So I got tired of that pretty quickly Um, and I'm always amazed by people who can, can do that gig and and keep auditioning and keep going out and and not be disheartened um so at that point I actually had been introduced to yoga at CalArts it was a mandatory class that we take yoga um yeah so there's a lot of I don't know if you know anything about CalArts but it has a reputation of being very out there very um creative so like Tai Chi and yoga were things that were mandatory classes
0: for us you know I love cause when I, was, when I was a theater minor, I, yeah. went for a class that was called creative movement exploration and it was yep. like just walking around a room for like hours on end. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, yep. after like a month of this class, I
1: was like, I gotta go. <laughs> There's a lot of that. There's a lot of, uh, you know, I, I'm glad cause I had, at that point in my life, I had never done, like, I've never done yoga. I had never done Tai Chi. Um, but there's definitely a lot of like, you're a leopard now, and now you're gonna walk really slow. And like, I mean, the things that you do in acting school like should never be seen by anyone.'re <laughs> <Yes. laughs> really embarrassing. Um, so I, I've been there too. so uh, all that to say, um I became a yoga teacher and I started to just explore the kind of skills that I had outside of acting because I had been doing it since I was twelve, so it's like I have no idea what I can do or like, if I there's other dreams or things out there that I want to do. So I, um, I did the yoga thing. I taught some classes for about a year. I also then managed the studio and I had a, a knack for managing things. And then I became a business manager for multiple businesses, a lot of online businesses. And one of them I ended up becoming the operating officer for. So I had scaled that pretty quickly. That was probably within like a three year um, time period. And uh, it was at a startup out here in Los Angeles. And then they actually brought me into another startup which was their PR firm. And they brought me over from their first one to their other one to act in the same role. And the beauty of being an operating officer in a startup is that you kind of have your hands in everything so that everything runs smoothly. So I could jump in on any position that they needed me to if, you know, God forbid something happened or, or someone fell through, um, you know, startups are are very unique, uh, thriving ecosystem where it's like, everybody's helping everybody else. Nobody just does one thing. And so I really got cut my chops or, or learned the ropes, if you will, on the spot, just got thrown into the deep end of the pool because I could manage a business and, and I had learned how to pitch years before um, and I had probably spent, I did my 10,000 hours on that where I was working for other people and, and writing every day for hours every day and just learning by mistakes and learning by doing. And so I really just learned the PR aspect of it and the the fine tuning of those skills that I had started to build in startup and business managing and took that into PR. And I did that for about two years of that company. And then I realized I wanted to um, change my trajectory to help people and to guide people who were doing their dreams. So entrepreneurs, um, actors, artists, people who needed this power of PR, that laser beam focus of why is this important um, rather than, than um I had been doing some tech and stuff like that before, so I was very, very excited to jump out on my own. So I did that. Oh gosh, it's been almost two years now that I found my own company. So that's how I got from one place to another in a ten year, <laughs> ten year uh, time frame.
0: I mean, you mentioned at the beginning that it was a lot of trial and error and feeling really lost, and I know that's a place that everyone gets to at some point or another. Just feeling like you don't know what you're doing on some sort of level and all the time <laughs> all the time I know I went through it in college when I decided I didn't yeah. want to be a doctor I was like well what do I do now yeah and I now you I- imagine that switch that's like you know I, like a totally doctor was. too when I was in high school I yeah. did not have like the side of my brain that was like English writing like history that side of my brain like wasn't as good as like my the stem side of my brain and then when I got to college it was literally like a switch flipped in my brain and the stem side turned off and the creative analytical side turned on wow that's so I've never heard of anyone having that before it's it was so weird because I was I, in high school, I, I mean, I took AP literature, but I hated it. I was like, I cannot, <laughs> for the life of me. I was like, what am I writing about? I do not know. That's but hilarious. I was like, you you know, put a physics test in, in front of me, I'm on it. And
1: wow. I could never. I'm very jealous. I would, I would fail with flying colors.
0: <laughs> well, and then I got it to does. college and I'm in intro chem and intro bio and I yeah. was totally lost I was like what are we talking about and I was like yeah go to tutoring it'll be fine I'm in tutoring twice a week nothing like nothing wow and then I was like okay well I can't do this I don't know what I'm gonna do um I'm like well I have so many friends that are English majors I think I might want to do PR let me just be an English major see what it's like let's just do it and I take my first English class and it was like one thing my professor said and all of a sudden I could analyze text.
1: Interesting, like a light bulb moment for sure. It sounds like, like a
0: light bulb moment. And I was like, oh, I know exactly how to do this.
1: That happens so rarely where you like, it's such a great feeling when that you have that like, oh, I get it moment, you know, and we work so hard for it. Um, but I feel like it comes around every once in a while and it sounds like it changes the correct trajectory of everything for you.
0: A hundred percent. And so from then forward, I was an English major and, you know, that's when you talk about, you know, studying texts at the beginning, like a hundred percent is where it clicks into PR. And I think that's just like the moral of the story is that it all works out somehow. You all figure out where you're going to be, where you're meant to be. And so getting through your story being disempowered as an actor becoming a yoga teacher becoming a manager and then kind of landing where you are now working with people that you said you said you wanted to work with people who really needed PR they really needed that and that goes back to exactly what you're saying at the beginning about storytelling um yeah that's, that's so much of I always I my dream career down the road is working with athletes on like brand deals and all that kind of stuff and that's all is all falls down to storytelling and I think like that's such a thing that you need to grasp onto in PR because at the end of the day I feel like even when you're working with like products or like brands it's like people don't really care about the product specifically they want to know why this product exists they want to know the exactly
1: and people don't buy products they buy stories
0: a hundred percent. And people
1: don't love athletes because of. I mean, obviously they are incredibly talented, unbelievably trained, and, and incredible. But if if an athlete has a story that I can remember, then it's like it amps everything up by a hundred percent, right? And, and everybody has a story. That's the thing is like everybody has a story, and. Mining that and shaping that and telling it in a way that is empowered and puts them um, as the voice of that story, rather than feeling like other people, especially if they're in the limelight, it feels very much like someone else can tell your story for you or take it from you um, and narrate it on its own, like things get in a news cycle and it gets out of control very quickly. So having that story be, you know, a legacy for you through PR that you have crafted and that you approve of and that you feel good about is so valuable mm-hmm.
0: for anyone in
1: the, you know, the public sphere like that.
0: And I love that you say everyone has a story because I 100% think that's true. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And, you know, I've had a bunch of, yeah. I posted a bunch of TikToks about college athletes and trying to make money off of NIL. And I've had a couple college athletes message me and they're like, well, how do I build my brand? And I'm like, okay, tell me about yourself. Okay. Yeah. I'm a track athlete. I compete in this event. I've won this award. Okay. What do you like to do for fun? Oh, mm-hmm. I like to read. Oh, you do? Then start telling me what books you read. Start yep. sharing what book you're reading before your meet. Start sharing your favorite authors. That's how you're going to build that side of yourself. People exactly care about your athletic achievements that you're achieving but they also care about who you are as a person.
1: Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, social media is really powerful for that because it does give uh, people in the public eye direct contact with the people that they're interfacing with, with, you know, I wouldn't even call them fans, just, you know, people who are followers. Cause I feel like it's sort of um, a disempowering thing for other people because it's like, we connect with, with stories and we connect with inspiration so I think you know we're taught in some regard through old PR and the old way of media is like only once in a while does somebody break through and and that they're this epic star and uh, you know that had a place in time and it's changed and so much more now we want to hear real stories and we want to hear a lot of different stories because we don't all fit into this one box, this one type of star power that used to be touted as the best, you know, in like the the you know the era of like old Hollywood, and and even after that, and probably well into like the eighties and nineties, quite frankly, of like you know this is what success looks like, and and it's really empowering, like you said, to like share things that are personal when we know somebody in one way it's really inspiring to see like oh like I've I read that book too or I find inspiration from that as well and those connections really build that brand
0: that's the thing that I feel like so many people around me in the college athletic sphere they're like oh only the big football players only the big basketball players are gonna like make money off of NIL and I'm like I actually think but any athlete can do really well on social media if they try hard enough. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. Like easy. here's the thing. It's you don't have to have a if they're it's gonna be easier if they're a really, really good athlete, they're getting national attention. But totally. They can also build it from the ground up. It's not impossible.
1: Absolutely not. And and I think that's the other thing is like, do they want it? Exactly. Right? It's a full time job. Being an influencer is a full time job. So it's like, if you want it, go after it and, and put the work into it and you'll see results. But if you don't want it, then don't focus on it. Like there are other things you can focus on, but you can't want the results without doing the work.
0: Exactly. And yeah. so tell me now about deciding to go off on your own, getting your first mm-hmm. client. What was kind of that experience like?
1: Yeah, Um. very daunting. Uh.
0: You know, I, I've always
1: liked um being in a leadership position because i i really i like to uh, make as much impact as i can and and step in wherever i can so you know um a lot of people had been asking me to do my own thing for a long time and uh i finally was like well i'll i'll give it a try i had gotten to a point where i wasn't sure if i wanted to be a los angeles anymore i wasn't sure if it was the right spot for me, if even PR was the right career. But I had one client who um, I had walked into the other agency before and, uh, and she was like, I think you should try this. Cause she's like, I see how talented you are. I see that you can do it. And having someone who sees that and conveys that to you is such a game changer. Um, to see yourself reflected really clearly in someone else from an objective point of view. So I really credit her with, um, with making the leap. Mm -hmm. So um, making that leap was scary. And I started off with two clients. um, And and they're both still clients with me to this day. (laughs) I I like to work long term with people because you build a, a relationship of understanding and depth that you know, you can build content that's evergreen, which is so important for a legacy. Um, Yeah, and it just grew from there. We, so the client that I had initially taken on, um, it was for a film project and her film won a Webby Award last year because of the campaign that we had done. So it was very quickly evident in the trajectory of like, okay, I'm gonna start this thing six months later She's winning a huge awards, going with her to these events, being part of them, you know, being awarded alongside of her going to big film events like the Cannes Film Festival. It just kind of snowballed from there. Um, and, and that sounds sort of like it was easy, uh, but there was, you know, that 10 year period of trial and error of not knowing if this was going to work, of starting it only six months earlier not knowing if it was going to work so it really was a leap of faith because I had nothing to lose so to speak and that I quit everything out in Los Angeles I actually moved back to my home state of Ohio for about a year and uh, just worked on the business full time and so it was a it was a, a leap of faith and it paid off and I'm very lucky that I have incredible people that I've worked with both on my team and as clients.
0: A hundred percent. And I think the first thing I want to mention is that you mentioned just having someone give you the faith to go off on your own was exactly the thing you needed. And I think that that's so true for so many people. I think it's like, we all just need that one person that's going to kind of believe in us. I know when I couldn't decide if I wanted to make the switch from communications to the role I'm in now, I was so Mm and I was like I do not know what to do and you know I then just started having the conversation with all my coworkers. I was like I don't know what to do what do I do and it was like yeah, all of them were like you want to make the switch just do it yeah and yeah it's- I think that's
1: that's interesting continue sorry I'm just, uh, that's, no, and it's that's just a like, really it, powerful
0: thing it's like the, you just need someone I feel like We all kind of know what we want to do, but we need someone to tell us it's okay.
1: Yeah. And that's especially a lot of my female and female identifying friends um, and, and coworkers are very much that way of like we, you know, and I think that's just part of who we are is that we turn to each other for advice. And we turn to each other to gauge emotions and, and share our lives. So when something really big happens that we want to shift our lives, it only makes sense that we're like, I, I need someone almost to give me permission, right? Because it feels like you're doing something wrong when you are making a big change, or you're veering off the course of what you said you wanted to do, or you change your mind. Um, And, and so that's, yeah, I, I think it's, it's really important that we talk to other people that we trust about it and that are um, you know people that we value, because a lot of people are gonna give you bad advice. <laughs> that's the other side of it, that's a downside. But just one person that you see as a success, or one person that you would trust with your life, if they can see you making a leap or trying the thing, and, you know, success looks like many different things. So it doesn't have to be something you do forever either. Right. Um, and, and not holding yourself to that, right? Like switching careers is not a mark of failure. It's a mark of somebody who tried something and moved on to something else. Exactly. And I think that that's really um, incredible that somebody is good at multiple things and can go from one career to the next. So, yeah, I I definitely credit uh, my friend and my client um, with, with that, uh, just that little nudge of, I know that you can do it because I really see you doing it already. Mm-hmm. And, and that will always, always be in the back of my mind. Something I'm always grateful for.
0: I think I want to go back. You said um, switching careers is not... A failure. It's a you did something and then you wanted to try something new. And I think I've been trying to kind of implement this phrase into my life more. That's like, okay, well, there was this thing, and because of it, these things happened. Because I think so. Yeah. Often, you know, I've been trying to. I've been looking at it in the terms of like, um, for me, I went through a pretty rough breakup about a year ago, and you know, I heard so many people being like, oh, my breakup was the best thing to ever happen to me. And, you know, Mm. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to say that because I don't necessarily know if that's true. But I'm going to say my breakup was a thing that happened. And because of it, these things happened. And I think really true is that sometimes like, you try things, they don't work out. And I feel like sometimes you have a voice in your head that's like, oh well, that didn't work out, but maybe it was all for the better. But then you're also still kind of like, Well, what if it wasn't for the better? But mm. there's also all these other things on the other side of it. And I think it's just like this true testament that like there's no wrong choice.
1: Yeah. Like Yeah. I love that. And actually Exactly. And and I think, you know, that's sometimes a little um mystical for some people to grapple with um but i i always if that's too mystical i'm always like well if those things hadn't happened you wouldn't be where you are right now for better or for worse right like obviously we never want bad things to happen to anyone that's not anything i would ever wish on anyone but they do happen and so our acceptance of them or you know if it's something that we have to accept as far as like a career change um it it really empowers you to put it into perspective of like, that's what life is. Life is not getting things right. Life is not getting things perfect. It's about the journey of doing different things and making mistakes. I don't, I mean, I don't even think of them as mistakes really, which might sound trite, but um, I think it's Byron Katie that said something along the lines of, what if everything that happened, happened exactly the way it was supposed to, you know? And it's like, oh, I was supposed to make this mistake because I needed to learn this lesson. And I think that's how I've been looking at everything for the past couple of years of like anything that I deemed a mistake or like I wish I had done differently or that I knew better, right? That's the thing I always think about, like, oh, I should have known better especially when it comes to like relationships or, or something at work, you know, something that we feel that's very personal to us. It's like, but you didn't know better. And that's why you mm-hmm. got this lesson in the form of a mistake. And now you know better. So you won't
0: do it again.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, I really, I love that phrase that you have because it's, it's so true. Everything begets something else.
0: Exactly. And so going back to something else that you said um, while you were telling your stories, You said, it sounds like it was easy, but it was this whole trial and error period. And I think that that almost at the beginning, it sounds like it was easy. I feel like so often we go to discredit ourselves right away. Um, Mm. You know, that people are, we think that people are discrediting or we think that people are discrediting us because something Mm. just kind of happened. And I think it's this like feeling of imposter syndrome that we all kind of struggle with. We're like, absolutely. are how did we <laughs> how, how did this happen yeah uh, and so i want to ask you about imposter syndrome and kind of how you deal with it
1: yeah that's a great question and a very relevant question um that's a i mean it's a hard question too because it's something that's not always there right it feels like it comes up at random times when something happens that is usually good quite frankly like it's a good thing in, in your life that happens and you find yourself sitting in, you know, like when we were at the Webbies, sitting at a table with, in tables surrounding us, like the most creative, innovative people on the internet in the last year. It's like, why are we here? You know, that's definitely a voice that's always in your head. And I have come to discover for myself that that voice that we sometimes demonized, I think a lot in in culture and in self-help culture, we tend to demonize that voice. Is actually just a voice that's trying to keep you safe. So I I try to parent that voice of imposter syndrome. Like, okay, what does this want from me? Why why is this voice saying this? And I realized like, this voice wants to keep me safe. Putting your head above the crowd, standing out apart from people, whether it be for good or for worse. (laughs) our brains flag that the same way as like, this is dangerous. You're away from everyone else. This is different. Um, And so for me, I I've moved it away from demonizing it and very much treat it like a friend. Um, And like, it's just like, all right, that's okay. We can be afraid of this and, and uncomfortable, but we can also enjoy it too. And like, I'm sure everyone's feeling the same way. I'm sure people at the top of their game that we revere as celebrities or icons, they have the same thoughts. And so I think it's just a matter of loving yourself through imposter syndrome and loving the imposter syndrome thoughts themselves rather than trying to make them go away or trying to demonize them for appearing in the first place.
0: I absolutely love that piece of advice. Just kind of making imposter syndrome your friend. I know for me, I guess a couple of weeks ago, I was producing a women's basketball game and it was at UBS arena, which is where the New York Islanders play. And it was like the first women's basketball game that was going to be played there. And Amazing. Every day I was driving there and I was like, I'm 23 years old how am I doing this (laughs) I shouldn't be doing this but then I kept like I kept reminding myself like you know just kind of flipping switch, like I'm 23 years old and I'm doing this
1: Mm. like it's,
0: it's kind of just again like taking that demonizing voice and just flipping the switch a little bit yeah I like that you flipped
1: the script on it and we're like yeah that's great like I am doing this you're right <laughs> you know the other you're thing no that is really, right you're like congrats you did it I think the other thing that I found that's really helpful and keeps you very level headed and very humble is that it doesn't have to mean anything about you you know what I mean like who we are in our core being and and our values however you want to phrase that you know your belief system and and, and all of that isn't it should not be affected by these outside things such as success, Mm -hmm. right? These are things that we accomplish, but they're not who we are. And so when something really great happens to you, it's like, enjoy it, but it doesn't have to mean anything about who you are. Same for when something really bad happens, like something bad happens to you, I'm not gonna make it part of my identity. Things happen, you know? So I think keeping that sort of distance from it too is like, this is an experience for me and I'm gonna experience it. Um, and not taking that in as part of our identity is also very, it's been very helpful for me.
0: And I think also just being able to separate your work identity from your personal identity. I know it feels really difficult because it feels like work is so much of like a part of you, but also just there is a part of you that is not overly consumed with work. And I think that can be really hard. I know it's really hard to disconnect sometimes, but just remembering that there is- a part of you that has friends and has a social life and has things that yeah. aren't <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think more and more, especially in a post-pandemic world, it's like the value of human life was really reinstilled into the forefront of our minds. And so reframing, I think that's why we're seeing a great resignation right now. I think that's why a lot of people are refocusing and retooling their entire lives. is that, Life is so short and so precious and to define ourselves merely by the things that we accomplish is so limiting.
0: A hundred percent. And so I kind of just have one more question for you to wrap up the whole interview. And I feel like we've already kind of talked about this a little bit, but my question is, if you could go back and change any part of your career or do it again, is there anything that you would want to change or do a little bit differently?
1: You know, I, I think I've thought about that a lot in my life. And I, I don't honestly think I would change anything, even the bad things that have happened um, or the tough things or the things that like really broke my heart or discouraged me. I really wouldn't. Um, And I say that with a lot of like weight to it. It's not a flippant thing. It's something that I've come to peace with over, you know, many hours of sitting with it or going to therapy or journaling, a lot of journeying with the question of like, I would not know the things that I know if I didn't go through the things that I needed to go through. So it's tempting to think like, oh, I wish I could have already known that or skipped ahead or not not had my heart broken or not failed or or you know embarrassed myself or whatever it might be, the things that we hate, right? Um But I think it's like going back to the same as the imposter syndrome is like the part of us that wants that really desperately, you know, to go back and change things and fix things is a very, feels like a very young part of who we are, like a, you know, an inner child. And it's just like loving on that a little bit and being like, it's okay. Like, you know, how would I speak to a child? How would I speak to my dog even like if they made a mistake, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be like, oh, you should have done better. You should have changed it. Like, it happens. 100%. We're not above that.
0: I feel like I always am like, if I could tell myself like three years ago, where she'd be now, you could just totally laugh in my face, like be like, girl, how, how, how would we get there? Right. Isn't that funny? Like,
1: the how is so different than anything we could ever imagine. And we can't. And that's the thing. You just don't know.
0: And I feel like it's like everything that you've experienced has made you more confident in the place you are now. Whereas I'm like Absolutely. Okay, well now I'm kind of in marketing, kind of doing this. But like if I had never tried communications, I don't I wouldn't have been so confident that I like marketing.
1: Totally. And and I feel that way very, very much about, you know, my acting career. It's like I don't regret it at all. Mm-hmm. You know. Um and I loved every second of it. And it's okay to move on from loves like that and parts of your career or things that you tried and um, they're so necessary.
0: Yeah. Cause I feel like if you hadn't tried that acting experience, you'd still have that little piece in your head of being like, well, what if I had tried it? What if I had made it work? Right.
1: Right. And it's like, that's the beauty of like going back to the career switching thing is like, we only get this as far as I know one chance here. So it's like to dedicate my whole life to one thing. I'm not sure I'm somebody who could dedicate unless it was, you know, even PR. It's like, I don't know if it'll be forever for me. I might take on something else. And I think that there's a real beauty in being able to be flexible and where life pushes you.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I think what I love about this show is that I, have you know predetermined questions that could happen but then I always like to say that the conversation is going to go how it's going to go and I feel like we've touched so many different things that I feel like are going to touch and resonate with so many different people but I'm so excited for my audience mm-hmm. for this one.
1: thank you so much for having me just talking about you know the things that we love and and it's bigger than PR right the whole experience of of sharing stories has been really exciting so thank you for having me